Welcome to the Griffith in Asia podcast. Uh, well, welcome to uh, a Griffith in Asia podcast. My name's uh, Professor Ian Hall in the School of Government and International Relations here at Griffith University. And with me to talk all matters South China Sea is uh, Professor Nick Bisley, the Executive Director of La Trobe Asia. Hello, Nick. Hey, Ian. Look, today, just this morning, there's been a, another interesting development on the South China Sea, an ongoing uh, issue in, in the region, and that's been that the U.S. is talking about possibly positioning long-range bombers in, in Australia and also bringing some Marines over from Okinawa and putting them in Darwin. I guess perhaps I could get your reaction to, to that first, and then we can kind of dig back into this issue. Yeah, so this was um, this came out in testimony uh, on uh, May 13th. I was, the time zone always throws me with the US, but May, th- May 13th, testimony to the House, uh, sorry, Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Uh, the written testimony doesn't give any sort of flags that they're doing stuff with the uh, Allies, but then in the oral testimony, it basically said, we're going to get the B-1s to rotate through the airbase in... It's just it's about 100 kilometres south of Darwin, whose name eludes me at the moment. This has kind of been flagged, actually, for a while that this was going to happen, um, and it was one of the l- less well-noticed parts of um, the original agreement that got the Marines to, coming to do training rotations in, in um, the base in northern Australia, which was a no big deal in the sense that 500 guys were coming and do push-ups in the, in the tropics, essentially. But there was, there was this big argument that went on behind the scenes about who's going to pay for the lengthening and strengthening of the runway, to which I then said, why is it being lengthened and strengthened? Answer, B-1 bombers are coming. So it's, it's sort of been coming, but this is actually part of a very considered effort by the Department of Defence, organised through the White House, to signal to China a hardening up of attitudes about the South China Sea. The view in Washington for a while has been, you know, China's testing kind of the waters, so to speak, um, to see how far it can go. There's different views about the salami slicing tactics, that sort of stuff. But essentially, China has this unstated claim. So it's got this map that implies that it sees everything within this nine-dash line, which is basically the bulk of the South China Sea. It's got this map, and it Im- kind of most people think it implies that China sees it as kind of like an inland sea, or certainly its own territorial waters. But it's never actually said that. So there's no formal position, and China to this day has not taken an official position on what what their claim is. But they've been doing all sorts of things with various submerged reefs and been doing that for a long period of time, pouring concrete and putting in forts, putting in intelligence, listening kit, all that sort of stuff. But from uh, late last year, it's really accelerated what they've been doing. And up until basically March this year, the American view had been we would like a peaceful resolution of disputes according to international law, we take no side as long as free navigation happens. There was a kind of catechism that's certainly been around for a long period of time. This dispute goes back a long way. But from March onwards, official lines coming out of the various parts of the US government have been much more stark and, and a ratcheting up of rhetoric, and this is the latest version of it. So you saw the kind of incoming PACOM in March in Canberra said the Great Sand Wall of China is being built and we need to push back. And it went from there. And I remember listening to them going, ooh, they've never said that before. They've never actually kind of phrased it in a way that says China's testing us and we need to push back. And then since then we've seen steadily, regularly, China is destabling the regional order, it is challenging us, and that, and now we've got this idea that it's time for America to push back militarily. And it's got a lot of people in the region a little on edge. 
Mm. So, um, what's 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 China's line on this? I mean, what's China's stake in this in South China Sea? What's it what's it pursuing here? But also, what's been the Chinese line uh, regarding American involvement, but also with the the other states in the South China Sea with which it's in effectively in dispute? The immediate Chinese reaction to what America has said has been wonderfully over the top and and old school, you know denunciations and this sort of stuff, which is kind of fun in, in the sort of war of works. And it's up time for America to put its cards on the table and so on and so forth. Take a step back. So it's got this map that it produced in 2009. In, it was basically in response to claims that the Philippines was making and Vietnam were making under UNCLOS. So under UNCLOS says that once you've signed up to UNCLOS, um, you know, Nations Convention of the Law of the Sea, if you've got a claim, you've got to say what it is. So that's, you can't just sit there and go, when someone puts something and say, oh, that's mine, you've got to actually put it on the table, which is one of the criticisms about UNCLOS, by the way, which is it, it, it can exacerbate conflicts and makes management a little bit tricky. Mm. So in, relation, in reaction to the Philippines and the Vietnamese putting these maps saying, here's our claims and being very precise about the delineations, the Chinese pull out this map, incidentally a map produced by the um, Kuomintang in 1947. So it's kind of a neat <laughs> bit of history. And actually, the one thing that KMT, so Kuomintang in Taiwan, and the Communist Party of China agree on is China's claims in the South China Sea. They have identical claims. Mm. Disagree about who should be running China. But, you know. That's a minor um, issue, though. Really. Sidebar side yes. issue, that one. <laughs> so what is China doing about these claims? So as I said, it, it hasn't officially said, we treat this as a sovereign claim or anything like that. But what they're doing is behaving where they can as if it were. So there's a kind of trying to establish a sort of de facto authority they're stationing personnel, they fish, they protect what they see as their fisheries. So if you're an Indonesian fisherman fishing in what they see, what they claim is theirs, they will arrest you and harass you. And I should, probably should also point out that they're not the only ones doing this. The other contestant claimants, so Vietnam and China, both have very similar claims in terms of the territories of the South China Sea. So they contest the, virtually the whole lot between them. The Philippines contests a large chunk of the Spratly Islands, Malaysia does as well. So, And Brunei, Brunei and Malaysia have relatively small claims. But So it's, it's sort of complex in that sense. But what China's been doing has been a policy of kind of de facto administrative action. So we police what we do, we commercially undertake activity, we have, we, we're going about ordinary business. It's not militarised, so if there's ever clashes, it's never the PLA Navy, it's always the Coast Guard or a state-associated law enforcement administrative agency, one of these things that they've got. PLA is often just in the background. If you see some of the footage, it's kind of neat where you've got the actual you know, bumping of boats, fishing boats or the like is going on, and then you see in the long distance the PLA frigates are just, just looming over the horizon. So the thinking is what China is doing is trying to establish basically its claim. Now, of course, it's been contested. It's been contested legally by the Philippines and Vietnam. It's been contested practically in terms of not just China is pouring concrete. The Vietnamese are doing it. The Philippines are doing it. The Vietnamese have this wonderful helicopter pad that just pops out of the ground because it's poured, they've poured in a north pile of concrete on this little key that is periodically above water. <laughs> um, so why are they doing it? What's, what's, why is the South China Sea so important? Um, there's a whole bunch of factors, actually. There's material ones, so there's oil and gas thought to be under there. Generally thought it's fairly good reserves. No one really knows, partly because it's contested, so they haven't been able to do the explorations, but it's thought that. Um, there are also fairly rich fishing territories, So you know, and the, all these countries are including increasing protein in their diet, and so it's a resource. China also sees, not unsurprisingly, the South China Sea is a pretty important strategic laneway. It's 
all, you know, virtually all of the energy going into southern China travels through those waters, not to northern China, actually. And certainly almost everything from Australia that goes to southern China sails through there. But actually all the stuff that's going to northern China and Korea and Japan actually doesn't go through it, contrary to um, popular belief. But still, it's a hugely important waterway for it, you know, sort of the energy minerals trade into China and then the product trade out of China going west. And then, of course, there's the bigger strategic thing, which is um, the biggest strategic interest, which is the South China Sea is the body of water you will travel through to seize China or to challenge China or to threaten China. Um, the US 7th Fleet has been doing a good job um, for you know 60 or 70 years doing surveillance and intel and listening in in these waters, and China has a long-term interest for this not to happen. So there's lots of layers to it, but China has a big, big interest in this, and I think if I were sitting in Beijing, I probably would too. So, uh, but if you were sitting in, in, in Washington, what would you see that was at stake here? And could you kind of meditate for a moment on, on what American options might be and why they might have come to this particular stance, this more uh, robust stance that they've done with, this, uh, with Marines in, in Darwin, with other troops being moved through the region, with potential of putting long-range bombers into Australia and elsewhere? There's lots of, lots of issues there, just to touch on a few of the big ones. Probably most obviously what China is doing, or is perceived to be doing at any rate, could be seen as threatening, challenging, undermining what has been a central pillar of America's strategy in Asia, which is maritime supremacy. So the 7th Fleet, roughly, or the American Navy, roughly from 1942 onwards, has been able to do whatever it wants in the Western Pacific. And if China is able to make good on its ambitions, whatever these might be, then a big plank of that strategy has called into question. Um, there's also credibility issues. America's got these alliance arrangements and says it's the and is sought after as the sort of guarantor of regional peace and security by many in the region. And it's being questioned in its ability to because it clearly doesn't want China to do this, and it's doing it. So you've got big credibility questions. Um, and then there's the broader issue of the sort of more specific technical kind of not technical, but the sort of more practical issue around freedom of navigation. So the basic principle is. Outside of your 12 nautical mile territorial waters, navies, merchant vessels, whatever, can do whatever they want. Mm. And that's a principle that America would like to uphold um, because it means it can do surveillance up to 12 nautical miles of the Chinese or whomever else they want. Uh, And China has a very different view about that and and, and does not want America and its allies not only using this space to come and get them because they're not going to come and get them, but to, to use that space to train to do exercises, to do surveillance, and potentially to choke it off or to to punish it or to coerce it in one way or another. So America's got a lot at stake, but what I'm really surprised by is they've gone from international rule of law and peaceful settlement to we're going to muscle up. You know, it's gone from 1 to 12. No, they haven't muscled up. They said they're going to muscle up, which probably means they're probably not going to. But... They've ratcheted up the tensions, and more importantly, what they're going to have to do is you know, back them, otherwise they're actually going to be worse off. And I think there's been a lot of chatter in the, the very sad people who watch this stuff too closely, like me, um, kind of going, this is a sign of weakness. This is a sign of a government that is feeling like it doesn't quite know what to do, and it's feeling... And the other thing I'm amazed by is the lack of diplomatic creativity that's on display. You know, the... How do you signal to China you're not happy? Well, there are lots of different ways. There's an infinite variety of ways that you can signal without saying, we're going we're gonna to unleash the B1s on you. I mean, it's a very... Yeah, that should come at some point, mm. but 
if I was America, what I'd be doing is saying, right, all of you lot, you're all silly. All of you people pouring concrete on these disputed territories, particularly you Philippines. Let's, let's have some big discussion about why all of you are doing stupid things. Or something, you know, that says, we're not pointing the finger at China, mm. but says that there's a dispute and everyone's behaving badly in the dispute. And let's think about ways in which you can give everyone a little bit of something, give everyone a little bit of face, as they say in the region, to take the heat out of it and to dial it down. And this is doing the opposite. This is saying, let's dial it, let's really ratchet up the tensions. And, you know, I think they've played it strategically, really, or tactically really badly, because all the cards are in China's hands, particularly as you know, the US is a non-resident power. So it, it is very surprising, and I think it also speaks to those critics of, of Obama's foreign policy that says they're, you know, they're not very good at it. They're making ill-thought-through, often seem to be about media control statements that really come back to bite them. And the, the Syria one's classic. And this is, it's not as bad as Syria in that sense, but it's out of the same playbook as, of you know, really saying, we're going to do these things. And you think, yeah, are they actually going to muscle up to the PLA and start shooting? <laughs> and, I mean, colleague colleague of ours, old friend uh, of both of us, Brendan Taylor, um, wrote a great piece in the Washington Quarterly uh, a while ago saying, you know, the South China Sea is not a flashpoint, it's too far from everyone's interests and that sort of stuff, and it's sadly proven wrong because America's behaving in a really odd way. Well, so, I mean, the, the last question, I guess, is, is that given that this, I mean, this particular announcement this morning wasn't, to my knowledge at least, correct me if I'm wrong, trailed in the Australian press. It, it came out of, of hearings in Washington, as you said, and as of 7.30, 8 o'clock this morning, there was no comment from, from the Australian government. What is and what should be Australia's role in all of this? And we've had an ongoing debate about China choices, American choices, Asia choices, Asian I, engagement. Hide behind a rock. And so um, on. No, I, I mean, I think if... I mean, firstly, if, if I was... In the Australian government, I'd be very alarmed about this, just because the temperature's going up, and we do no one has a stake in the temperature going up. We, we have, despite the China choice nonsense language, we don't have to choose. We we actually made a choice. We made a choice a long time ago. We're on the American side on this one. We're on the American side on any big strategic issue. Uh, and about what America has done in this thing is to say, you know, we've we think you are doing the wrong thing, China, and we are going to think militarily about what we do in response to your what we what we clearly think is an, a, a wrong action, picking sides. Uh, so, for Australia, we're, we're going to have to do some s- swift work if we don't want to get get drawn into this diplomatically. And I think you can do that, but it's tricky. Um, more importantly, what they need to be doing is getting on the phone to Washington. Because this is one thing you can get out of an alliance that people often forget. You know, that in Australia, the public debates often, we get caught up in these conflicts we don't want to. We have to go to Afghanistan and we get we get caught up. Well, actually, what we, what we do get out of the alliance is some influence. It's small, but it's something. It's there. We can have access that, you know, others don't have. And, you know, get in their ears and tell them to be a bit smarter about how you deal with China's act- actions. And, and China is being provocative and China is being destabilising, doing in- increasing these things. And it, and we need to make clear, as, a, as an international community, as it were, certainly in regional powers, that everyone's going to lose with, if this one goes pear-shaped. We need to collaborate and get together and talk about how we can defuse this. And, and I think what, what seems to me to be surprising is that the US is really stuck in a very kind of zero-sum view of what's going on. You know, they see a China gain as their loss, um, and they don't want to seem to... They don't want to make their peace with that. And I think, you know, Hugh White at ANU has made, you know, a, a name for himself, saying America's got to get used to giving up some of its power, and I'm not sure I'd go as far as 
to say that, but I certainly think you know, China's a major power. It's a very significant player. Major powers have claims that ordinary players don't, and we have to recognise them, and we have to make our peace with them. And we may not like what that country is and how it comports itself, but the alternatives are all a lot worse. And I think I'm, it's really surprising to see this very, I think, kind of crude thinking about how you deal with China playing out. And, and it, you're right, it's really surprising how little uh, media reaction has been in Australia. I, I kind of came, stumbled across this late last night after putting the kids to bed and saw it online, I was like, oh, wow. I was tweeting about it and got these reactions, like, what the hell's going on? I was like, I don't know. And then look online, there's nothing. It's it's quite, you know, doubtless Greg Sheridan will write a, a, an essay about how it's, we've got us muscle up to China, but of course Obama's wrong. <laughs> well, so on that optimistic note, <laughs> Nick Bisley, thank you very much for talking to us. That's been a very, very enlightening and uh, interesting times, as it often is in this in this part of the world. Thanks Thank you very much, Nick. Thanks, Ian. Pleasure. For more information about Griffith University's research, engagement and activity in the Asia-Pacific region, visit griffith.edu.au slash Asia.